It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I'm Trevor Sikama. With me is Benjamin Solak. It is a beautiful Monday morning, a regular season Monday morning. And for the first time in far too long, Ben, we have NFL football to talk about. That I didn't even realize that that's what that was yesterday. Oh boy, oh boy. On him up. Well, you better, you better recollect. That was the right word, right? Recollect. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of the most like intense and threatening pronunciations of recollect I've ever heard in my entire life. Well, recollect, you not better a very, not a very intimidating word. Recollect, because man, we got a lot of stuff to talk about about yesterday's NFL games. Holy cow! That to say that things did not go according to plan for many right. teams would be an understatement. Yes. So, right, biggest shock. Washington scoring points. Okay, right. So I was going to say, Washington <laughs> jumping up to 17 over Philly. Dude, Cleveland. I cannot tell you. I'm in a Survivor League with a bunch of people. Right. And I talked to a lot of people who are in Survivor Pool Leagues, too. And the amount of people that were absolutely losing their minds when Washington was up 17-0 to zero right. was hilarious. I told, I, was, I told everybody, I was like, guys, Philly's going to win. <laughs> Philly's going to win. Right. I mean, I, and you know this well as a beat, like I'm not nearly as like on a beat as you are. I do Eagle stuff with Bleeding Green Nation. Um, I experienced the, the entire breadth of fan response and fear within the first 20 minutes of the NFL season. Yes. Was, there, was, there were 10 minutes left in the second quarter and the Eagles were down 17, nothing. And like <laughs> there were calls on Twitter to fire Jim Schwartz. <laughs> I was like, fellas. I love this sport. Team. I'm going to be honest. And here's, here's my thing is that, like, we think the Eagles are good. We think the Browns are a really good team. I'm sure we'll get to the Browns in a second. Oh, right? we, we think, will. We think the Steelers have a pretty good team. Is one week one game enough data to change how you felt about a team in the preseason? Because to me, it is not. Only if you're Tampa. Okay, if you're Tampa, maybe. But that's the thing is that, like, after three offensive drives, a lot of Eagles Twitter was like, oh, like, this offense is as good as we thought it was. Guys, it was three drives with a bunch of players who did not play in the preseason. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And it was. And I think it's going to be okay for Cleveland, who uh, had significant change along their offensive line, including their left tackle not playing against the titans because apparently he kicked somebody in the head which i did not see greg robinson um, oh you didn't see yeah. that no i didn't find the clip i didn't know uh, dude or anything. so like not only were i mean like cleveland was ornery this preseason all the hype ornery nice yeah like all the hype around him nfl network was going crazy over cleveland espn was you know there's all the baker stuff the odell stuff miles garrett's coming into his own great draft Freddie Kitchens is head coach. So, like, everybody was everybody was all in on Cleveland. And 
I think Cleveland was also a little all in on Cleveland because throughout the preseason, I heard that they were kind of like getting into it with some teams during practices, like joint practices and everything. And they're just like, they had their attitude flying high. It's like, yeah, we're the Cleveland Browns. We're not taking your crap anymore, which good for them. But but here we are, first game. Craig Robinson gets ejected for kicking Kenny Vaccaro in the head. It was wild. Not ideal. It was wild. We had so many ejections in yesterday's slate of games. The Browns had how many? They had like like an inordinate number of penalties. Like just like total week one slop fest. Nobody was disciplined. Nobody was under control. Nobody knew what they were supposed to be doing. Sort of nonsense, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And and the thing with Cleveland going into the year, a lot of talent. But we talked about this in the months leading up. A lot of egos too. And part of football, as we are very much seeing with all of the Antonio Brown drama, no matter who you are as a head coach, is dealing, and a GM, shout out my Mac, uh, is dealing with these egos. You have to be able to get all these people, almost half of your job as a head coach is just getting these people to get along with each other and make sure that they're staying in the course and they're staying calm and they're not hurting the team. Uh, I, and, and yeah, Cleveland and that, looked that, like it didn't do that in week one. Right. And that conception, right, that that conception of, all right, half of the battle is just making sure the team is everybody like, you know, on the team is happy and is sated and is comfortable. It like whatever proportion it is, it gets larger, the better your team is. Like when you introduce more and more good players. Right. Your team's going to get better, and more and more and more of your job is going to be letting those guys have the keys to the, the car to a certain degree, but still keeping a kind of a, a loose leash on them to another certain degree. And those are, you know, nebulous figures that we don't really know. And so, yeah, I very much agree that Cleveland, and I think um, Philadelphia is another team that had this issue. I think Arizona is another team that had this issue. I think the Steelers are another team that had this issue. You can even say Tampa. I mean, like, I, I guess I, I would default to you on that one. Sure, oh, well, you, you have to. Se- okay, Seattle. Seattle's another great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seattle, who did not target Tyler Lockett till the fourth quarter, Trevor. I don't when understand. You, when, I don't understand. When you, when you experience significant turnover on the offensive side of the ball, there is a a lot of poking and prodding and slight adjustment of who gets which targets when on third downs and in the red zone and on, on long, long situations, who gets them deep and who gets the intermediate targets and who gets the shallow targets. you got to figure that out from a scheme perspective and from a player happiness and satisfaction perspective. So uh, 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 some limps out of the gate don't surprise me for teams that experienced significant turnover or have sure. new weapons. Yeah. you got to figure out how 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 everything's how it's going to balance all out balance itself all out no and we we talk about teams for months and months during the offseason right and so when the regular season actually rolls around we've already convinced ourselves because of the articles that we've read and the tape that we've watched not just me and you like everybody the things that we've seen on tv we have already convinced ourselves of knowing exactly what we're going to see week one and it's never that cut and dry, ever. So mm-hmm. I think it is funny. We just we always lose sight of this stuff. Like when Washington was up seventeen nothing on Philly, and people were thinking, "Wow, Philly's not as good as we thought we was." Okay, chill out. It's you know, right. it's two quarters into the season. So I think that there's a lot of 
yeah, there's a lot more chaos that could happen in a week one than we often give week one credit for. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Um, One team that we figured was going to be bad, that Ben ended up being pretty bad. Mm, Interesting. is, Is the Miami Dolphins. Fellas. But holy cow, did Jimmy Christmas not think it would be this bad? Okay, I wrote about Lamar's awesome day for DraftNetwork.com. If you guys want to go over and read it, I titled the article, Lamar Jackson has arrived and the haters are furious. And in it, broke down what, what Lamar did really well. And I get it. It was Miami. But those were professional football players on the other side playing against the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar just did an awesome job of showing a lot of his progression in the pocket, and it was a lot of fun to watch if you're a Lamar Jackson fan. was not very fun to watch if you were a Miami Dolphins fan, because even if you are completely in on the rebuild, which a lot of Miami Dolphins fans are, I have, I've conversed with right. many of them on Twitter and social media, and they're like, yeah, look, we weren't going to win before, this, this wasn't going to happen, so this is the way it needs to go, buddy. I don't. I don't care what the long term plan is. Watching your team lose fifty nine to ten is not fun. I think they were down forty two. They were down forty two three at half, right. and it reminded me of last year when Tampa Bay was playing in Chicago with the the game that Trubisky had six touchdowns, which is uh, the only good game that he's had. Um, and it was just a really weird thing to watch knowing that okay this Tampa team probably wasn't going to be good but this this level oh man like what do you think is 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 just hurts more like not like it's worse but just stings more losing 59 to 10 to the Ravens or Lamar Jackson only having Seven rushing yards against you and still beating you fifty nine to ten. That was the crazy what, part, like, man. That's what like that's the funny thing to me is like it's not even like Lamar. Like, like I, if I was a Dolphins fan going into that game, I'd probably be saying to myself, "Listen, Lamar's gonna run all over us. They're gonna run a ton of option stuff. They're gonna run a little fake stuff. He's gonna break some tackles. They're gonna score a lot of points. It's gonna suck. It's gonna be embarrassing. But he's a good runner. He's one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the league. He's such a great athlete. It's okay. It's fine. And then he comes out and throws seven touchdowns against me, wherever the heck it was. Five. I'm like, God dang it! This is not how this was supposed to happen. Yeah. You know, you can prepare yourself for getting beat up. For Lamar, who who is not known as the best passer in the league, to just rip you up through the air, just I think like adds a lot of salt to the wound. Now, Lamar is a passer. Yes. One game against the Miami Dolphins does not a year to improvement make. Of course. However, Jackson, who was not nearly as bad of a thrower as he was rumored to be in 2018, remains one of, if not the Best deep ball thrower from the 2018 class. Crazy, isn't it? Lamar Jackson's natural 
arm talent, especially when throwing with touch, so with air underneath the ball, down the field, is simply stupid. His issues as a thrower typically come in these short areas because he can't just flick that thing and let it fly and let it loft out there. And that's where when people gave him Vic comparisons, there was a little bit of Vicness there. Obviously, Vic, I think, had, had a Vicness. much better— Vicness. A little Vicness. There was a Vic little had a, Vicness there. I Vic like had that. a much better drive on the football. Uh, he could whip that—he that, could keep that motion a, a little bit more compact, a bit more over the top on the short intermediate drive throws, those, those, you know, those throws on a line. Vic had that, but Vic's ability to throw with with touchdown the field, just leave air underneath the ball and let his receivers go and run under it, was really something that that was a big part of his game. Lamar has that, and, and you know, 2018 contextualized quarterbacking bore this out. I mean, Jackson was not the most accurate quarterback, but when we went 20 plus yards down the field, it was Hammer Baker the whole way. Yeah, that skill is now married to the design of the offense in a way it wasn't last year. Yeah. It is that, that skill did not have the players to bear it out last year. You add Marquise Brown and then, you know, quietly as well, we don't we don't, we don't realize Miles Boykin as well, who's also a, a four three eight player if memory serves for Miles mm-hmm. Boykin. Mm-hmm. So we add significant speed on the outside. We already have a great speed threat at tight end in a guy like Mark Andrews. Andrews very proficient in the downfield areas from what he did at Oklahoma as a tight end. So now now the receiving core for Baltimore is built around this idea that Lamar Jackson doesn't need to be a great short thrower. We have a really good running game that can open up holes that can get us five-yard chunks, six-yard chunks. He's a great deep thrower, and we have the receivers to win in the deep areas of the field. That is exciting. But here's the thing too, Ben. I was watching that game, and yeah, he had a lot of really good stats, and I understand that it was against the Dolphins. But there's a couple of clips that I highlighted in that article where, like, Lamar is putting the ball pinpoint where he needs to with consistency yesterday that he just did not have last year. Not that he could never do it. He was just really inconsistent with it. And when you talk about him being a great deep passer, I agree. I thought that Lamar was a really good deep passer in terms of arm talent. He could really get that thing down there. That flick of the wrist, man, that's what's Mike Vick about him, right? I mean, he just flicks that wrist, and that ball just goes. But this year, there were a couple of times where, and I highlighted in the article, like, he's looking players off. He's fully manipulating the defense, knowing where he's going to go, then hitting right over the middle, getting his guys in stride, feeding him to open space. That's when this Ravens offense is going to be really good. It's not even just the deep ball. It's when they can get Lamar to consistently hit those short to intermediate players in stride with consistency and accuracy to get that speed also in space a lot. And holy cow, did I see a lot of that yesterday, regardless of who was on the other side playing defense. Those balls were exactly where they needed to be. I saw a poise in the pocket. I didn't see any, There was barely any panic with Lamar Jackson, whether it was on the blitz or climbing up and down the pocket. Oh, my gosh. I was so impressed with him. That was so. That was a joy to go back and rewatch his game. So Yeah, and I think, I think a final quick point on Jackson before we bounce around. It's always been... A, a consistency and not an accuracy question. I, I 100% agree, even back to the Louisville time. And to get deeper into that, the consistency question has never, to me, which is not the same for other people, been as much of a mechanical issue as it has been a laziness issue. In that Jackson, and this is very common for a lot of really good college quarterbacks, in that he has been so much better than his competition for pretty much every year right. he's played football right. until right. rookie year in the NFL, yes. he got away with stuff that he shouldn't have been getting away with. 
And that's the thing about the NFL is it makes you tighten that up. Correct. Now, yes. Not every quarterback does. Tightening up is not as easy as it seems. They've been talking about Jackson changing his throwing motion. It's hard to change your throwing motion after you've been throwing, uh, you know, uh, 400 passes a season for the past six years. You know, and that's what you've been doing as a high school and as a collegiate athlete. And so it's tough to do that change of the throwing motion, make that better. But what you're looking at there is not necessarily like a, a total overhaul of the mechanics as much as it is a tightening up and an increasing the, 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 the intention, not getting lazy, not getting casual, not just flicking the ball out there, but really going through your reps with a lot of uh, detail, a lot of intelligence. If you, uh, J- Jackson's never going to have the most normal-looking throwing motion ever. He just doesn't. But as long as you just stick in it and you use it, even when you're throwing quick little bubble screens, you're going to see an increase in consistency. And that's what I expect from Jackson in year two. A focused and retooled Lamar Jackson is a lot of fun so far. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So very much exciting uh, for the rest of the year. Another team I want to get to, Detroit Lions and the Arizona Cardinals. Yes, sir. Uh, Ben, you wrote about Cliff and Kyler a little bit. I didn't get to watch a ton of this game when it was going on just because I was in the press box uh, covering the Bucks game. But I saw that Detroit was up 17-0, I think, right, at one point, or 17-3. And then uh, 17-0 in the second uh, quarter, and then they went to halftime 17-3. Okay. And then at 24-6... In the fourth quarter, yeah, eighteen point difference. Yes, um, win probability is pretty high at that point. So, oh um, yes, brother, they were over ninety percent. And, and here's the thing, man, I, I caught the end of that game, like the tail end of the fourth quarter, going into overtime, and I look up the stats, and I saw that I saw that Arizona was going down the field to to tie it up, and I'm looking, I'm like, oh man, what happened with the Lions? Stafford had three hundred yards, three touchdowns, no picks. What happened? What are you doing? Okay, right. uh, 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 what, what happened? How did they blow that? Right. Well, what happened? And this is this is critical. Did the Lions do some stupid, silly nonsense? Yes. Oh, yeah. Underst- now, it's, now, an under- it's an understood. Yes. Now, I wrote this mostly from the, the Arizona perspective, and so I can't specifically say that the Lions did. Actually, I didn't do why. They obviously went to full-on salt the game away mode and did not try to pick up first downs, you know, on their last two, three possessions. They are trying to run the clock out. Cowards. Yeah, uh, Exactly. No, but I mean, it's not like you know. Kingsbury also was a coward. Kingsbury had had, had third and goal from the one, fourth and goal from the two, with his offense not scoring anything, and kicked a field goal. Then, with 12 minutes left, down 18, he also attempted another field goal from the near red zone. Big which, coward. I mean, it didn't make it a two possession game, and then they ended up getting the seven, then getting the eight. So Cliff Cowardsbury, in my Cliff opinion. Cliff I agree. And then finally, Trevor, finally on the Detroit 46, with less than two minutes left in overtime. With a field goal winning the game, Kingsbury punted. Oh, yeah, that was the one where Kyler, like, rolled his eyes on the sideline. Right, it? So there was a a play where if Tremaine Brock had intercepted a pass that hit him in both hands, um, the the Cardinals could have gone on the field and scrambled and and attempted a quick field goal. And I think that was the one where Murray had this, like, big reaction to it on the sideline. It was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, 
But no, that was an absolute coward call by Cliff. I mean, like, what, like... <laughs> said that so there's, casually. There's, le- there's less than two minutes left. It's fourth down. You have Kyler Murray. Just run a rollout, sweetie. Like, you know, and just... Oh, like, damn. He hit him with the sweetie. Wait, I mean, Shoot. like, like what? this is your first NFL game. You're coaching for a tie? Just say you want to start your NFL coaching career. After an 18-point comeback with your rookie first overall pick to get to overtime. You want a tie? Who are you? Apparently, I'm, yeah. How dare you? Apparently. Gumption. Can we anyway, just talk about how stupid it is that you can tie? I mean, I, I, honestly? The fact I that you put so much weight into these 16 games and would allow a team to tie. What in the here. blue hell are we doing? I... Do not mind it for the Shut up! Reason, I for the exact reason I just described. Because it punishes yellow-bellied, lily-livered, feeble, soft-minded, dumb coaches. But I want said win, dumb coaches to suffer more. Alright. I think they are suffering more. Now you gotta spend the whole next 15 games doing playoff math in your head where you've got a tie stuck on you and you can't really figure out where you stand. Because tires Na- are inconvenient. Nature's ultimate torture. Math. I, neither Matt Patricia nor Cliff Kingsbury should have walked away with a win by the time we got 70 minutes into that game. Two th- because two- they were both coaching like morons. Two teams that I thought were really good yesterday that ended up being a really great game was the Carolina Panthers and the Los Angeles Rams. And actually, talking sure. about teams that I really thought neither of them deserved to lose, it, it was this was a slugfest all the way down to the end. Honestly, Los Angeles came out on top 30-27, to 27, but, man, if I'm being honest with you, if that game goes one more quarter, Carolina wins, I think. So they were really coming on. I think that Carolina started off really slow. I think that Los Angeles capitalized on a lot of stuff. They came out of the gate a lot faster, a lot more focused, just a lot more crisp in what they wanted to do. But, man, as that game plan went on, how the Panthers used Christian McCaffrey and those gadget wide receivers really started to move the ball down the field. Christian McCaffrey is phenomenal, man. We are watching... A special running back and we when we talk about running back value you know not knowing where to value these kinds of guys that come out of the backfield either in the draft or free agency I spoke on this when I wrote an article kind of about it a couple weeks ago during the summer and the thing that I said is that running back value isn't I I don't want to say that it's getting less but it's shifted to the different types of backs that you use and right now that type of back pass catching back can be utilized with multiple players but if you are a guy who could tote the rock between the tackles and also be an incredible receiver on the outside, right. teams are going to use you. Look at Le'Veon Bell. Look at Alvin Kamara. Look at Christian McCaffrey. Look at Saquon Barkley. Look at Ezekiel Elliott. There are examples. Look at David Johnson. There are examples all across the league of running backs that do this. It's just different. You're not just a – you, when, the, when the value of running back is devalued, it's the old school thought of running back that's devalued. You can't just be this, okay, yeah, hand me the ball and I'll carry it. you got to do other stuff for your offense. It's a passing league. But if you get a running back that can really do damage out of the backfield, like Christian McCaffrey did, and I thought North Turner did an incredible job getting him as involved in the game plan as <laughs> they possibly sure. could be, that's the – that's the formula for Carolina. They really took one of the best teams, a team that just went to the Super Bowl, down to the wire. They even had some mistakes. And like I said, if they go another corner, quarter, I think Carolina wins that game. And so even though Carolina starts this year 0-1, I was still I was still encouraged by what Carolina looked like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, now taking the Rams the distance is always going to be a big deal. Um, when we talk about, I think it was very interesting when you talked about 
running backs who potentially matter, running backs who give a diverse skill set that teams can invest in and they can get return from. I don't think you mentioned Todd Gurley, uh, which Todd Gurley came out here and got out snapped and out touched I, by. I, I don't Malcolm understand Brown. what's going on. Like, are they are they are they worried about his knee or what? They, I, I don't think that they think that Gurley at a full workload will be healthy for them in the playoffs ever. Okay. So now, if you want Gurley in the playoffs, which they did not have last year. You know, like they did, quote unquote, but they didn't really have like a healthy girly. Mm-hmm. Um, then you need to spell them, and you need to go committee in the regular season. It's just you cannot give girly the number of touches they did last year and expect them to be healthy. I think that's that's that like the one game conclusion that I'm drawing is that, and we'll see what happens. You know what I mean? Um, 14 carries, 97 yards for girly. Um, I think Brown had 11 carries for two touchdowns. So roughly even split brown got the red zone usage which is interesting from a fantasy perspective i guess but for me from a a, a player deployment and development perspective Gurley, and it wasn't even daryl henderson it was malcolm brown who they're using in the committee and so the rams backfield is really interesting to watch to kind of figure out what they have uh what would they think they have with Gurley long term but with the panthers right i mean it's a healthy newton is going to be is going to keep this team competitive against every single team in the league because Newton's a tremendous talent at quarterback. McCaffrey, one of the most exciting, dangerous running backs, three-level threats, whatever it would be, so on and so forth. This team needs DJ Moore to be a, a true wide receiver one in his second year, which is a tough ask. Moore's got to stop fumbling the football. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> and Moore's got to be able to For sure. win, win more consistently uh, in the deep areas of the field. That's where right now, like this offense, you know, you, they do a ton of really good stuff in the backfield, and I've lauded it with motion and with option ideas, and I love it. But eventually, you do need a guy who's going to be able to beat good NFL corners one on one. I don't think they have him on the roster. I think if they have him on the roster, he's more, and they don't right now. Mm-hmm. I will say that maybe you're able to get a situation where more is good at what he's good at, working in the underneath areas, working back to the football, working off of breaks, catching and then rack, and then you make Curtis Samuel your deep guy, and you survive that way. But this team, to get real serious, needs development from their young wide receivers. That's what it's going to come down sure. to for Carolina. Sure. If they're going to, they, because like, think about the Rams is punching for four quarters is good in week one. By the time we get to week 18, you got to be able to beat them. And so that's kind of the change that you want to see made. Yeah, they get uh, they get Tampa on Thursday night. Really quick turnaround. And we can segue that into the Tampa 49ers game. Um yeah, not just not great for Tampa. Uh, we talked about having those. <laughs> we talked about having those preseason expectations of like what could be for a team, and it's for really the last. It, it hasn't even just been the off season. It's really been the last two or three years for Tampa. It's been this. Okay, Jameis has looked a little bit better, so here's this all like hope and belief in him. Um, the offensive line has improved a little bit, so here's some hope and belief. Man, they sucked. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. They, I mean, like they sucked. I, I'm, I'm the yeah. the hourglass is so quickly running out on Jameis Winston uh, in Tampa Bay. Then there's this schedule does not let up now. That was one of that game that they played on Sunday against the 49ers was one of about <clears throat> five wins that I saw on this schedule, knowing that there could potentially be a couple of more just because the NFL is wacky and you never know who's going to win every week. So I figured, you know, somewhere between, 
I don't know, six and ten, seven and nine, they were going to finish on the year. But I mean, not having that 49ers game as a win, uh, we're looking a lot closer to six and ten. And if they drop another one that they shouldn't, you know, we're looking a lot closer to five and eleven or four and twelve or something like that. But man, I just, Winston just. He didn't have it. I mean, he the, the accuracy right. was all over the place. The decision making, which is the much worse part, was all over the place. Ends up throwing two pick sixes, I, and it's it's. I, I talked about this on a podcast before. It wasn't even the decision making at this point. It's always been with Jameis Winston. It's always been okay. Great arm talent. He can really hit some crazy throws that you love to see that you can build off of. That you go, wow, that guy's a guy that can really go down for me in the fourth quarter and hit some big time throws to win football games. He didn't make the right, and it's always been, well, he's just got to make the right decisions. He's just got to stop turning it over. He's just got to, you know, make the right play. Yesterday, he didn't even throw well. Like, he, right. he, he didn't make the right decisions, and he just straight up didn't throw well. So now if you have a guy that you can't trust with decisions or can't trust with throwing accuracy, now you're in trouble. Now you're in deep trouble because this is year five, and how much better does it get with him? Now, to be fair, it, it took Carson Palmer a little bit to get it under Arian's system. It took him about six to eight weeks to really start to catch fire. But the rest of the team was good enough, and they were able to survive and actually play really well in that first year. They don't. <laughs> I don't think the Bucks have that kind of time. So they're going out of it quick. The offensive line sucked, right. too. They get to go up against Carolina. And, oh, man, Tampa's defense played pretty well. I will say that they actually did. They held, uh, they held the 49ers to, like, 240 total yards. Had a pick six. Had, had I mean, they, they held them to six six total points at halftime. They were playing pretty dang well, actually. I thought that I was I was really impressed with what Todd Bowles was doing from an execution standpoint. But Carolina, I think, is going to eat their absolute lunch. And yes, that would know, be a an apt prediction, my yeah. dear fellow. So it's going to start getting ugly for the Buccaneers, especially as they start getting into the schedule. Because after Carolina, they play the Giants at home. If you don't beat the Giants at home. You are staring down the barrel of going 0-6, 0-7, 0-8 maybe. Because then they go to London after that five-game stretch. Then they go to Tennessee, which just whooped up on Cleveland. And then they go to Seattle. <laughs> Not it could get off the rails great. quick for them. Quick. Hey, did you right. watch did you watch any of that Minnesota Atlanta game? No, I didn't. But can I make a quick Comment on because uh, this nope. is actually an update on something from a previous podcast. Oh sure. Um, after the Lions, after the Lions lost or tied to the Cardinals, mm-hmm. basically losing. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a tweet which was like, "This tie to the Cardinals is even like rougher when you realize the Lions' upcoming schedule." And it shows a clay, uh, screenshot of the Lions' upcoming schedule, and they've got the Chargers at home, Eagles on the road, Chiefs at home, Packers on the road, Vikings at home. And I just thought to myself, "Oh man." Lions fans, you know, are really like looking at the schedule to make sure that they'll be able to, like, you know, recover from this tie and stay in the playoff race. And I was like, guys, like, you just tied with the Cardinals and gave up an 18 point fourth quarter lead, and you're worried about the schedule? Who is saying that the Lions fans were super pissed about a mock? Was that you? That was me. That's why, that's why it's the update on the podcast yeah. is that Lions yeah, fans, yeah, yeah. even after tying with the Cardinals, are still like, well, listen, like they're gonna have to get out some tough ones against good opponents here, to, you know, like, get back in the playoff race. Anyway, uh, all right, my I, big, my big take. Oh, sorry, go on. I was gonna say I did not see anything from Atlanta, Minnesota. Okay, great. Thank you for that input. Uh, I saw from Minnesota, Atlanta, that Atlanta, that Matt Ryan was poop, and that Dalvin Cook is back. 
So that's what I got out of the Minnesota Atlanta game. Eagles have Atlanta next week, and I would like for Atlanta to remain poor that's for that bad. game, and then you know pick things up afterwards. Uh, Car or Colts played against the Chargers, I believe. I told the person who asked us on Fan Friday last week who we should play: Austin Eckler or God? Was it Marlon Mack? Who was it? And I told him, I told him Austin Eckler, and buddy, hopefully you listen to your boy because he scored like thirty six fantasy points. Chargers end up winning. However, the real winner here is right. everyone who has ever had the pleasure of watching Malik Hooker on tape because my fucking goodness, did you see the one-handed interception? Did I see it? I'm the one who sent it to you. But did you like see it? Good co-host. I know. You, I know. I, not as high on Malik Hooker as you are. I swallowed but the pill. did you see the angle from the All-22 angle? I saw, I saw what Sam Monson, a uh, 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 PFF To quote my good friend Ben Solak, Jiminy Christmas. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Interception, in terms of skill required to make the pick, like already like a 10 out of 10, right? But then the casualness by which he plucked it, the swagger with which he tucked it and took it out of the end zone – escalates that puppy to a 15. I mean, there's one-handed picks, and then there's acting like one-handed picks is what you were just born to do. Like, this is like a regular thing that happens for you because it was so clean and casual. He just the throws ball the ball in. stops moving the second it hits his hand. He truly palms the football mid-spin. And somebody on Twitter pointed out, my God, he didn't even think about putting that second arm up. Ever. Didn't didn't even think about doing it. Oh, 2019, baby. Year Malik Hooker. I'm here for it. Please give me 16 games of this guy. He'll be the best safety in the NFL. And, And I'm very excited. And as kind of as I expected, we talked about this on the podcast. The Colts stayed up and fought the Chargers for four quarters. Chargers are not a bad football team. It's one of the best football teams in the AFC. The Colts are not going to be a lay-down team with Jacoby Brissett and without, without um, what's his name, uh, Andrew Luck. It won't happen. Wow, a, already a, forgetting his name. Jeez. This is a team that's too well coached and motivated by Frank Reich. Has too much talent in the offensive defense side of the balls to be just, you know, uh, uh, sleepy out there. They're going to continue to come out and, uh, and play some good football, beat some good teams. Uh, I'm really excited to see that. I think mean, that's awesome for the Colts. It could be tricky for the Colts if all of a sudden you're at a point where you're like, oh, Jacoby Brissett should be our starter next year, question mark? Because this team doesn't have that many needs, so they shouldn't, you know, goof around. And, and... I think they got to draft the quarterback pretty early. Right. Well, well we're going to see what happens. Jordan Love, love the spot. I'd love that spot for Jordan Love. Because I, you still have... I, I offense. Because Jordan you love, still have... Brissett there so it's not like a panic you've got to play love right away and we saw the last time that in, in week one when when Jordan Love was playing for Utah State there's a lot of good things he does but he's not ready for the NFL right now you know so well and so there's a lot to play out between them but I really like that play uh two things that I want to talk about before we get out of here uh real briefly Jacksonville in order to win football games your best players are probably going to have to stop punching other players with their helmets on uninspired coward you think that this wasn't a strategy unbelievable (laughs) and uh and i also wanted to say that pittsburgh you will never beat the patriots 
Wow. Ever. In this um, regime. Or ever. Or just ever. Wow. Okay. Um, okay, so firstly, um, back to the Jaguars. Nick Foles going down with a broken clavicle absolutely sucks because I like Nick Foles and don't he, don't listen to people who tell you otherwise. Um, you hate Nick Foles. Foles. Foles was exciting for Jacksonville. You hate and, Nick and, Foles. And it was he threw a touchdown and it was going to be exciting and then he broke his clavicle and it was sad. The guy but won you a Gardner Super Bowl Minshew, and you hate him. Gardner Minshew, the most <laughs> feisty, annoying, you know, like just like like you know won't like won't go away, just like like just the spunky little dude. No better quarterback, and he won that backup job. No better quarterback to step in and be a problem like that. No, no better quarterback to step in and be. Well, like, I mean, if you had if you had Brady, you'd probably be a better quarterback to step sure, in. Sure, but like like it's the fact that like he stepped in. Up I mean, if you, if you had if you had Mahomes, it'd be probably better. Up if against he the in. Kansas City Chiefs, and he said, you know, like this, like Jacksonville's been mired in bad quarterback play. They got embarrassed by the Chiefs last year. I'm gonna come in as a sixth round draft pick out of Washington State for one year. And I'm gonna sling the pill around the yard a little bit, and he did. And it was re- that I love that. I think that's great. I think that Jacksonville and that offense is gonna rally around that, and I think that they're not gonna not gonna. Obviously, like I don't think Martin Minshew is a better player than Foles. I need to stay as far away from that sort of a claim as possible. But Minshew brings enough talent, and then more mustache. than enough, more than enough, like 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 mustache competitive advantage to the game that they're gonna continue to be. I think a, a good enough offense to win some football games, even with Foles out. No, they'll be competitive. They're fun. I thought they were fun while Minch right. was in. And listen, John D. Filippo, best offensive coordinator they've had there in a fair bit. He matters. And, and what he does uh, from a design perspective is going to be helpful. Sure. Yeah, I'm with that. You want to comment on Pittsburgh before we get out of here or no? Did not watch most of the game. Okay. They're never going to beat yeah. New England ever. All I know is I got a call from my sister when she was driving back to her home after watching her Steelers get down 3-30 to or whatever it was. Yeah. She was less than stoked. They're never going to so. they're, they're win ever. It's just not going to happen. Another game ever? No, they're not going to beat New England ever as long as these current regimes are what they are. It's just not going to happen. Got to have the secondary to play man coverage. You got to be good against the Patriots to be good. Good point. I never thought about it like that. You know, that's that's why. Call Mike Tomlin and tell him. Listen, that's why I am the host of the podcast and you're just the co-host. Absolutely. I still have so much to learn. (laughs) Speaking of so much to learn. A lot happened in college football this weekend. A lot of stuff. One Florida team might be 2-0. and We'll talk about that. And whew, a whole mess of other stuff that happened this Saturday. Man, this, is, this might be a Joe Burrow podcast after tomorrow. It most certainly is a Joe What Burrow we are podcast. going to talk about with Joe Burrow, with that LSU-Texas game, with what happened in the Clemson A&M game. And everything else that happened around the college football world, we're going to get into all of that stuff. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Lockdown NFL Draft. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 